0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Farm Life and Freedom Podcast. Today, as promised last week, we are going to be talking about getting your garden off to a great start. I also, as promised, I, I created an outline for myself. I've got it standing up right here so I can quite easily check it and make sure I'm staying on track. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to limit the amount of squirrels I've got running around in here. I've got a a variety of things that I'm going to be talking about. This has been one heck of a week. <laughs> I I normally cram about a week and a half's worth of work into every week, but this week I think I've I've been trying to shove about 2 weeks' worth of work into it. So I've been I've been kind of working around the clock getting things going, but I'm sure that a lot of you guys out there are probably doing the same thing. Here on Tex Farmstead, we have been just so incredibly busy. This is the time of year. I'm sure that all of you guys are as well, just trying to get everything set up and ready, ready to go for this upcoming gardening season. And and that's, you know, no different here. We've been building things and we've been expanding things and getting beds ready, getting soil ready, getting compost ready. <laughs> dirt moved here, dirt moved there. We've been just really working very hard to try and make sure that everything is up and running and and off to a great start. And that's what I'm gonna talk about today. Now, with gardening season kind of right here upon us, ready to go, there are a lot of different things that we can talk about. I wanna be able to give you guys as much information as possible in areas that would really help you. So right now, I wanna talk about the beginning. How do you really get things started? Now, a lot of people, especially you know, new to gardening and everything, the first, step that comes to mind for people is, well, got to buy some seeds, right? Buy some seeds, dig a hole, throw them in, put some water on it, right? Well, that's just not how it works. The very beginning of your process should be your planning. I talk about this all the time. I think sometimes people think about the garden planning portion of it as kind of along lines with the gardening journal. Now, which I also pushed, (laughs) I think it's really important to step-by-step plan everything that you're doing and keep track of it. That's really key in not just knowing what you've done, you know, throughout your current season, but also for being able to look back on it. Next year, when I go in to plan my new garden, I can look back at my previous plan and, and say, okay, well, I I planted these here, I did this to them, I added this, and this is my result. If you keep track of those kind of things, it really helps you going forward. It helps you understand what works in your place and what doesn't. So I'm going to start out with the planning. And I've got here, I wrote two books that specifically for, one specifically for gardening, and the other one is On a variety of aspects of becoming self-sufficient, leaning toward that lifestyle. The first one is the it's the gardening planner. It's called Planning Your Best Garden. It's a planner, workbook, logbook, and journal. And I suggest these, even if it's not mine. I mean, it's available on Amazon should you want to check it out, but it's really important to have a a gardening journal and planner. And that's what this does. For one, it kind of helps you along your journey. It asks questions, helps you kind of figure out, I guess, whittle down things that, that you need to know about yourself, about your place. And then there's all different kinds of logbooks and planners for your budgets, for your expenses, for your crop rotation, and then your monthly plans and, and whatnot. There's just a lot there that can help you throughout your season. But even if it's not mine, I suggest looking into a gardening planner to help you get started. What are a few of the of the keys that you need to be looking at? For one is you want to start off with your gardening zone. The USDA, uh, they call it hardiness zones, and people call it gardening zones also. It talks about what is great for your area. Some plants have a variety of, well, a variety, (laughs) different green beans, different tomatoes. Some of them work better up north versus down south or or what have you. It's talking about what plants are best for your zones. Plus, it also helps you to understand your first and last frost dates. Very important, many a gardener has been (laughs) whooped by those frost dates, and I try to work around those as much as I can. There are ways to expand your gardening season. I know down here in southern Oklahoma, we have a very long growing season. I'm very grateful for that. I'm lucky to live where I live. I I really enjoy the long gardening season, but people who are up north and have a shorter gardening season, that's okay too, because as long as you know what you're working with, you can find ways to work around it. Expanding your season with high tunnels and greenhouses, hoop houses, that kind of thing. There are ways to do it. And we can, we'll be talking more in depth about those different things in future episodes. But right now, I want to get started with just some basics. So we talk about the zone. Here where I'm at, I am in 7B. But I'm right on the cusp of being 8A. So I kind of look at both of those when I'm researching plants. And I always suggest researching. There's a lot of different plants out there that you might want to grow, but you want to research which cultivar is best for your area and best for your soil and, and that kind of thing. A few of the other things, so now that we've got the zones out of the way, a few of the other things that you want to look at when planning is you want to look at siting. Siting your garden beds where they need to be where it'd be the best place for them one of the things you want to look at when determining that would be sunlight now people think well that's pretty obvious you know it's got to be in the sun but there's a few things that people sometimes overlook for one as we get closer to the winter months, the sun is at a lower angle. As we get, you know, into more into the summer months, the sun is at a higher angle, which of course changes the angle of shadows and what have you. So if you have obstructions around your gardening area, that will come into play. Is that always bad? No. I know here on our place, we get a really bright western sun. And it is hot, hot, hot here. And especially during the summer months, we tend to stay pretty dry. So if we work our gardens to where we have a kind of a, maybe a little bit of late afternoon shade, that helps us a great deal. So sometimes you can work around those structures and make them, I guess, work to your advantage. But it is something that you want to look at when planning your garden, when siting it. Okay, so another thing that you want to think about in the planning process is water. Now I know everyone thinks, well, Amy, there's there's water. <laughs> you know, it was the water hose or whatever. But you want to think about I mean, access to water, how far away is your water source? Are you going to pump water from city or, or a, do you have a well water? Are you going to be able to collect water and use that to water your plants? I'll tell you something that we're doing. We have a natural pool. We built it a few years ago. In fact, you can check that out on twooaksfarmtalk.com. I went through the whole process, all the different steps of that process. We love it. But something I do, I love about it, even outside of the fact that it's just super cool and it's great in a hot summer is, now we have goldfish in our pool and in our regeneration area, but they go everywhere. But they, that makes, it's got a nice little ecosystem. There are no chemicals at all in our pool, no, you know, chlorine and all that. And it makes a nice little ecosystem. Well, the water itself is, it's great for watering plants. So my plan, as far as watering, as much as possible, I have these water containers set around the property, those great big kind, set around the property near various planting areas. And I pump out the water out of the pool into those. And then that's what I use for watering my gardens in those areas. When those get low, I pump it again. And then because the the pool is so huge that I can add water back to the pool. And I mean, in 24 hours, the sun has taken the chlorine out. and And it's so vast that adding a little bit back to it isn't going to hurt the fish or the plants. So that's my plan. That's my water plan for my garden. You'll have to decide what yours is. But the key there is deciding looking at it and saying, okay, well, what's going to be best for me? Do I have a greenhouse that I can put gutters on and collect the water for, you know, from and water from that, or am I going to have to pump in water? It's just one of those little things that people don't think about in the beginning, but making that plan makes your, makes your gardening easier. Okay, so we've talked about that. We've talked about you've got to have the zones and the sun and the water you will also want to keep an eye on wind situations. We all get wind. Sometimes we get strong wind from time to time, but there are places out there, I know I've lived in some of them, that have just constant straight line winds. And I don't know what causes that exactly. When I was at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, I lived right outside of Lot there, just right outside of Fort Sill, and I built a hoop house there. Well, it was a really big mistake because the wind never stops there. I don't know. It's like a wind tunnel. Something about the terrain features, I guess. I don't know. But it's just constant winds. And I built the hoop house and the winds just shredded it, destroyed it, busted it all up. (laughs) So i I decided that Lawton wasn't going to be work, working for me, so but we've moved on since then, and I know that we we still have some issues here and there from wind, but we try to site things so that they a lot of our delicate plants at least will be wind blocked because there are some plants that I mean the wind can just break them right over and it didn't it didn't pay us to try and grow them. Okay, so so there's those. Now, we also, the last thing that I want you to think about in your planning process, obviously, is what to plant, but also how much of it to plant. Now, there are charts out there. I don't want to get into math right now, but there are charts out there that you can look up that talk about, this is how much you should plant for a year supply for this many people in your family, so, you know, this much per person. And you want to look at the different things that you eat. Now, when you're choosing your seeds, I always suggest people, oh, well, I can grow this, 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 and this. But do you eat it? Okay. Plant what you know that you're going to eat. That's that's so important. You don't want to have things go to waste. And you don't want to put all your your time and effort into things that you're not going to be using. So put that time and effort into something that you really want, things that your family can use. Everyone grows tomatoes. Everyone loves tomatoes. I will not eat a raw tomato. It's just me. I do not like them. But I I use so many tomatoes, I make everything with tomatoes. By the time our season is over with, I will have pantries full of canned up tomato products because we use them so much. So that's something that we have to grow. We grow them like crazy around here. But we, when we Are picking things I mean we don't eat bok choy so I don't grow bok choy my seed provider sent me a free packet of bok choy seeds so I gave them to my daughter because she likes it we don't so just keep in mind you want to grow what you like that that way you won't have any waste now we're going to talk about we've got the planning out of the way now we want to talk about your initial prep work Okay. And one of the very first things that you should always do every single season in your prep is test your soil. Okay? Very important. And and it can be as easy or as, you know, huge a process as you want it to be. But there are some basic ways to do soil tests. You can go to a garden center and get a little packet and that'll give you, that'll do a A basic soil test to help you figure out your pH levels. There's also the pH meters that they have. It looks like a little speedometer, little thing going back and forth. And you just stick it down in the ground, and it does its thing. And then it tells you what your approximate pH level is. You can also talk to your county extension office. They have all kinds of resources there for those kind of things. So I always suggest going ahead and testing your soil. And I'll say this too. If you plant in a variety of different areas, we've got, I mean, I've got, I don't even, I haven't counted on recently. I keep adding, I add every year. My husband can't stand it. I add a new (laughs) planting area every year. And, but in those different planting areas, you need to test each area because your soil will not be the same from one bed to the next. So you want to test all of them. Why is it important to test your soil? Okay, you have to make sure that your plants are planted in an area, obviously, where they can thrive. Well, plants require different pH levels. Some of them need a more fine soil. Some of them need a more acidic soil. But, I mean, a lot of them really require a neutral soil. So somewhere in the 6.5 to 7 range is typically what you want to look for. Adjusting your pH, there are amendments that you can add to your soil, work into the soil to help adjust it one way or another. But it's a kind of a long process too. It's not overnight. You don't just change your soil pH overnight unless you're using a chemical. And I I don't use chemicals, so I don't know those chemicals, exactly. I can tell you that. In fact, I, I made a made a note. See, I'm all prepared today. I've got my outline. I've got notes. Okay. Uh oh. I got I got glasses too. So here we go. Okay. So now the on the pH thing. This was always very difficult for me to. I don't know if it was understand or remember or whatever. I told you that. Like the seven range, six and a half to seven, that's kind of neutral. That's where most plants grow well. However, there are some that need a more alkaline soil, and that's where it goes above that seven range. And then the acidic soil is down below, like that six and a half range. Like, for instance, tomatoes, they like a little bit more acidic soil. So, you know, that's where you would want to plant them. There are ways to raise and lower your pH level. To raise them, you can use lime, you can use wood ash, which is fantastic. If you have a fireplace or a fire pit, save that wood ash. There's so many uses for it on the homestead, but this is one of them. You can raise the pH level. Also baking soda will work there. And then lowering the pH level, you can use manure. You can uh, obviously compost, any kind of organic matter. And I always suggest compost. I mean, every time I'm talking to somebody about gardening, I suggest compost. If you don't have a compost pile or a box or a bin or a bucket, (laughs) you should start one. Even if you don't have a garden yet, start your compost. Because for one, the things that you're throwing away, you won't have to throw away. You can use them to create something awesome. Maybe you're not gardening yet. Maybe you're planning to do a garden next year. Start your compost now. It takes a little bit for it to break down and, you know, decompose. And you can, of course, keep adding to it and adding to it. Before you know it, you'll have a nice compost area that you can take, you know, from and, and add to your planting areas. I'm telling you, you can't go wrong with compost. And there's lots of different ways to do it. In fact, that's where I'll stop real fast. And this book right here, Becoming Self-Sufficient. This is one I wrote. It's also on Amazon. This is one I wrote. It covers several different aspects of leaning into the more self-sufficient lifestyle. Okay. And this is this book here is really written for people who are just starting, just getting going or maybe they just they're looking for that information because this is this is kind of something that you you want to look at, think about, research this and in order to put yourself on that path or even to determine if this is something that you want to do. But the reason I'm talking about it is because I have a big gardening section in here. Surprise, surprise, right? Um in my gardening section, I've got huge thing on compost, different ways to do compost, different kinds of composting bins, methods. There are there's a lot of different things in here that give good information on this. And so I wanted to go ahead and mention that. In here, there is also there's a lot of charts in here that that can kind of help you out, but in the gardening section specifically, I mentioned earlier The USDA hardiness zones, there's one of those in here. But then, of course, the compost and all that. But, okay, moving on, I know. (laughs) Okay, so we're still talking about the prep. We talked about the testing and amending, putting compost in your soil. Now we're going to talk about, it's a kind of a long discussed, I guess maybe you call it an issue. People are on one side or the other. Sometimes, I guess, they're kind of on the fence. But the question is to till or not to till. There are two lines of thought on this. Tilling, now I used to be a big tiller. I mean, we spent plenty of money on tillers themselves. And and I would just go around tilling up all the ground because that's what my Mimi did. She always tilled the soil, made rows, and planted her stuff. She was able to to do nice gardens. However, I think what we're learning over time is that the more that we till into the soil especially deep tilling unless we're adding back in adding organic matter adding compost and and things to help keep the soil light and airy we're causing compaction we're causing erosion so we want to make sure that when we're when we're working with the ground with the soil we don't want to do any damage to it because if we take care of it it'll take care of us now there's lots of different ways to do gardens without tilling now i still have i have a little lightweight electric tiller something basically i just use it for scratching up the surface of a new planting area because we have we have <laughs> we have weeds and grass out here that it's practically an army i mean they come with swords and everything i'm telling you they these guys are they are committed. (laughs) So in order to get rid of them and and plant something, I've really got to kind of scratch that surface and cut them up and then pull them out. And that's really the only tilling that I do anymore. I've changed my line of thought on that. But that's something that you just have to decide for you. If you're going to go with a no-till, that does not mean that you just have to plant with the weeds and on. the. There's ways around it. For instance, I'm just going to throw one out there because we'll be talking about these later. The lasagna garden is it's terrific. I started doing that 3 or so years ago. I I just wanted to kind of test it. I love testing new gardening methods and I wanted to kind of test it out and I did and I absolutely loved it. So much less effort goes into putting this garden together. You literally throw down some liner of some sort. I usually use newspaper or cardboard. And then you just start layering on top of it with straw and manure and compost and just all those kinds of things until you get multiple inches deep and you you have a layer of compost on the top that you plant into. And over time, that stuff, you know, as you water and, and everything, it just kind of shrinks down, compacts, decomposes, and it creates right there, it creates this wonderfully amended soil. <laughs> and then eventually, because the bugs come up from the bottom and they munch it and make it, they basically, they kind of mix it together, but then it mixes into that clay nonsense that I have underneath it. Yeah. And it helps me to amend the clay that I've got out here. <laughs> so it it's honestly, I believe it works really well for me. And I really like that method. But... That is something that you can do if you choose not to do the tilling. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention in in this with the prepping is weed blockers. Depending on where you are, you know, some of you might be super lucky and you don't have a lot of weeds and grasses to deal with. I am not lucky in that area we have got monsters out here as far as weeds and grass and and they will infiltrate everything (laughs) they are just all over the place so i really have to work hard to try and keep them at bay i do not have the time or energy to go through weeding nonstop in all of these beds so i have to do as much suppression as i can and then every time i pass a bed I just kind of reach down, take a few out, and just continue on my day. That makes things a little bit easier for me, but that's just my coping mechanism. (laughs) But there are a few things that you can do for weed suppression. Obviously, there's the role of landscape fabrics. There's various different kinds and weights. You want to make sure that you get something that water can get through, but that's something that you can use. Also, I like to suggest cardboard and stacks of newspaper. We go to our local newspaper and we buy the old bundles of paper, the ones that no one bought. And we just layer them up several pages thick and put them everywhere that we're going to plant. And that makes really great weed suppression. So that's something that we do. That's one of the things that you guys can do. But that's something you can do in your in your prepping. So you want to prep to make things easier for you when you plant. So, now we're going to move on and talk about types of gardens. Because, in you know, when you're getting your planning done, you're going through all of the initial steps to get your garden off to a great start. You want to determine what kind of garden you want to have. Now, when I talk about kinds of gardens, we're talking about the beds themselves, just the kind of garden you want to establish. There's the traditional gardens, which is the, you know, in the ground, in rows, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that is like a traditional method. Since then, people have tried so many different kinds of gardening methods. And some really work in some areas, some not so much. So you want to look at your soil and and your sunlight and all of that, and just to kind of determine what's going to be best for your area. Raised beds are terrific for me. We have clay here. When we first bought this place, I mean, it was barren pasture land, and we've really had to work this place very hard to to make it into what it is, and we've done almost every bit of that with raised beds because there was no way we were going to be able to get anything in that clay soil. But over the time of doing all the various raised beds, I like I mentioned earlier, I've been able to use that and kind of amend my soil in areas. This year, I have a an actual bed that's not raised. I'm I'm starting I like to test new gardens And I'm doing a Back to Eden garden in an area where I have had compost for quite some time now. And I believe that I've got a section there now that has been sitting and composting for long enough that the ground itself can be used as per normal. (laughs) So not like the rest of my clay area. But I believe that I'll be able to do in-ground gardening there. We'll talk more about the Back to Eden garden and that kind of thing a little bit later on. So I mentioned the raised beds. There's also, this is kind of along the line of, of raised bed, but it's a little bit different. It's the straw bale gardening. If you guys have not heard of that, look it up. It is super, super cool. The year that we bought this place, we bought it a week before we got married. And so when we got back from our honeymoon, I did not, it was too late in the season. I, and I didn't know anything about the property really. So I didn't have a good plan for a garden, but I knew I needed one. So my best bet, because we knew it was clay, was to go and get an entire trailer load of straw bales, not hay, straw bales, and bring them home, get them ready and and plant there and that's what I did that first year luckily it worked out really well for me that was my very first year to attempt that worked out great for me we were able to get a decent harvest off of it since then I haven't gone back to it because I've got so many other gardens (laughs) going right now but so but it was it was neat it was a really fun interesting experience and i've got that on two oaks farm talk as well if you'd like to look at it so now that gives you a few of those kinds of different types of gardens but i also wanted to mention one other kind of garden that definitely it's such a natural thing that it's i think something that you should definitely at least look into You know, consider if it's something that would be good for your place. And that we're talking about permaculture or what's called a food forest. Now, some people say that those two things are different, you know, close but different. I personally look at them as being in the same category. The idea of a, a permaculture is working with what nature has given us, letting it work all together, okay? and nature does i mean god has given us just this wonderful system that really takes care of itself it's a symbiotic relationship <laughs> and you the way permaculture really truly works is things grow together that help each other now that's that is talking a lot more about companion planting which we will be talking about but even deeper than that i'm going to give you an idea look at a food forest okay so you have you have big trees. That's your high canopy. You have your your big trees, like in my area, it's oaks and pecans, big trees. Well, then there's the kind of the mid-range tree. And that's, you know, we have fruit trees. You know, the dwarfs or even the standards are smaller than the big trees. So you have the the fruit trees. That's a mid-level. Then you also have bushes, shrubs, that kind of thing, that size. And like blueberries and blackberries we've got. And so that's something that's kind of on that level. So you, you've you got the, the big stuff and then the kind of the middle stuff. And then you've got the lower stuff. But then on the ground, you have things like, you know, greens and, and whatnot. Or onions in the ground. That kind of thing. All of these things form a system. The leaves off the trees fall in the fall and they create a layer of mulch, which is something that your garden needs to retain water. And what happens to that mulch? It decomposes and it becomes compost and which obviously is fertilizer. And so it takes care of fertilizing those plants and giving them more oomph to continue growing. And that cycle just continues. All of these things work together in nature. If you you can walk into a forest where nobody has gone in and disrupted it, and you'll see those things. All of these plants, all this plant life, is growing and they're healthy. And no one came in and planted them, right? God planted them. He sent the birds by that had the seeds that dropped the seeds, and then all of these other things around just came into place, and they all work together. To create a good ecosystem that would allow it to grow, and then humans come in and tear it up. <laughs> but that's what we want to fix. We want to in our own in our own yard <laughs> or pastures or what have you, in our own areas, we want to try and and recreate that system that that whole food forest, permaculture, you know, everything working kind of in harmony together helping each other. And that's kind of the idea behind that. If that's something that you can look into, you look around your place and decide, well, you know, I think that that's something that that would maybe lend itself, you know, to my place, then definitely give that some research, give that some thought, because I think you would not be disappointed. Something like that, that kind of system doesn't require as much work because it literally works and takes care of itself. You get the initial startup. You put the, the pieces of the puzzle together, but then you let them work. And that's what I think is so awesome about permaculture. Now, we want to talk just at, this is the last section here. We want to talk just a little bit about gardening methods. So we talked about like the types of gardens, but now we want to talk about The gardening methods. Now, basically, there's your traditional methods, and then there's, I'm going to say, I'm going to call it natural. Natural. The government apparently believes that it owns the word organic, and you can only use it if it gives you a special license that you have to pay big money for. So we go with the word natural, okay? I use natural methods in my gardening, but there's no judgment here. You do what's best for you and your family, and and I will help however I can. If you guys have questions, I mean, if I don't have the answer, I'll find it for you. But there, I can tell you this, there are natural ways to accomplish everything that the traditional, with the chemicals and everything, accomplishes. And you can do it in a less expensive way if you lean toward natural stuff. I mean, sure, you can go to the garden store and spend lots and lots of money on organic products, you know, organic fertilizers and what have you, but you could, for free, you could use compost that you make for yourself. So there's lots of ways to to get around the expense, the, the ultra expense of gardening, especially once you already establish your garden beds. Unless you're like me and you just keep building more. Anyway, the last thing, and the reason I'm doing it last is because it really goes along with the the natural gardening <laughs> methods, and, and we're going to get into this on the next episode. We're going to get in-depth on companion planting, but I'm going to give you a little brief idea of what that is here in in this and the reason for that is because when you want to get off to a great start this is part of your planning process you have to plan what plants you want to plant and you have to plan where they're going to go that's where companion planting comes in okay there are plants out there that help each other grow they're like besties you know bffs and they want to be together OK, you don't want to plant them in separate places. It's kind of like me and my girlfriends when I was in school. I, I was a talker <laughs> and I was constantly getting in trouble so they would separate us. So we would just talk louder. <laughs> you know, they want to be together. These plants want to be together. They help each other. And there's a variety of ways that they help. Some of them help repel pests. Some of them attract pests away from the other one. Some of them help some plants grow bigger and sweeter and be more productive. so all of this is all natural this you don't this doesn't take a chemical at all. This plant makes this one grow, so you put them together. you know there's there's those kind of things. We're gonna go into a lot of detail on that on the next episode because that is it's such a terrific thing to use. When you're planting your garden, I mean, I plant the heck out of mine. You will not find rows you know that are you know two foot apart and all that you will not find that at my place. I plant everything if if there's an open area, I throw some lettuce in it. I mean, I like it covered it's living mulch as far as I'm concerned. It's very important. And, and we'll talk about that as well. And that's part of the companion planting because it talks about not just what plants grow together, but I mean, the, what they do for each other and also what they do in the environment. Because you, you want, um, I am so happy that we were able to talk about getting off to a great start in your garden. And I know that this beginning portion for some people, it just, it holds no, you know, fire. It, there's nothing that they that they enjoy about this portion. They want to skip to the seeds, but this is one of my favorite parts of it. I'm planning everything, get making sure that everything is just right. My soil is good, and my compost is great, and my plants are going to be happy together. This is exactly why I love getting started in the in the early spring. I really hope that the information here today has been beneficial to you, been, been able to maybe give you something to, to think about and to help you plan so that you can get off to a great start. Thank you all for joining and be sure and get back here next time for our deep dive on companion planting. Come back and see us at Farm Life and Freedom to help us cultivate a free life.